the Politically Georgia team hits the road. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein. And I'm Trisha Murphy, and we are two of your political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome, and be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And why don't you leave us a review while you're there? We checked the reviews. They're a little stale. I feel like we could use some fresh ones, especially if they're nice. Because <laughs> <laughs> my mom reads all of them and sends me the nasty exactly. ones. <laughs> well, Patricia, we're back together again. Uh, you are back from vacation. I'm about to go on another little quick trip. But how has your 4th of July week been? My 4th of July week has been terrific. It's been great. My We took a little trip over to the beach for July 4th. Um, Came back on the 4th to beat the traffic, and I'm glad we did. Um, We also beat some of the bad weather, so it was wonderful. It's always, I feel like it's very healthy to leave the Atlanta area um, whenever possible, just to get a fresh view of things. And I'm spending my summer doing quite a bit of that, actually. Good. Well, my kids are back from the sleepaway camp. I always remembered having a hard time coming back because it was nonstop at camp, and then you come back and, you know, if you didn't have a lot of activities lined up, you get pretty bored pretty, pretty quickly. So we have lined up our kids with tons of activities. So we went to the Bare Naked Ladies concert on Friday night. It was a little reunion. We saw a bunch of friends there. We went to Whitewater. We did our big annual water balloon fight where the dads go against the kids. And the dads had the advantage of being up on a giant balcony throwing water balloons like artillery shells <laughs> down at the kids. So the dads won. And uh, of course, the Peachtree Road Race, which was, mm-hmm. people said it was cooler than usual. I didn't feel like that. Maybe That's it's not because, what I heard. My sister yeah, read it, it, it and that felt, was not the review. It felt pretty human to me. I mean, I got dumped on. We, I was in the L wave. I was, so I, that means I started around 7.30, 7.40. Um, and it started raining the moment we, we, I crossed the start line. And it wasn't bad. It wasn't the downpour that came later. But it, it was, <laughs> I was still sopping wet. And I finished and our photographer, AJC photographer, our colleague, uh, Jason Getz was, was taking pictures at the end. And I was about to like, go give him a handshake. And I was like, wait, never mind. He doesn't want to touch me. I am, I am <laughs> dripping <laughs> with sweat and rain. <laughs> on today's episode, we're going to delve into a deep dive on Patricia's Georgia tour, which is two stops in, but has plenty more to go. Also talk about Brian Kemp's latest traction, at least in the national media, about a potential 2024 run. The legal fight over transgender rights, Peachtree Road Race politics, questions from the listener mailbag, and our who's up and who's down for the week. This is Politically Georgia from the AJC. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Patricia, this is something cool. You've been, you've been doing these road trips 
pretty much since you started shortly, shortly after you took the columnist job back in 2021. Tell us about them. Yeah. So I feel like we spend so much time during the session uh, just in the weeds on legislation. And then during campaigns, we focus a lot on polls and messages and um, literally who's up and who's down. We do that a lot here on the podcast. Um, But I feel like particularly as I started the job with the AJC and it had been so long since I had covered, actually I had never covered Georgia politics. I had been a part of Georgia politics and then covered national politics. And as any Atlanta kid, you drive from Atlanta to the beach, and that's kind of the limit of your knowledge of the state, even if you were born here, as I was. So I wanted to um, get out and, first of all, see lawmakers in their natural habitat, because the Capitol is nobody's natural habitat. Um, <laughs> well, lobbyists it is. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I get to see lawmakers really in the communities where they are, and then also see some of these issues firsthand. It's one thing to hear about, you know, quote, a housing crisis or, quote, a shortage in rural health care. But then when you see it on the ground and you hear about it from voters and from particularly like hyper local officials, county commissioners, mayors, um, I like to talk to mayors to find out just what what are you dealing with every day? What what are the problems you're trying to solve how are you spending your time? Um, it just illuminates these issues so much. You understand how real they are. Um, you understand how much people on the ground are really trying diligently to solve those problems um, and that they're not always the way they're presented in the Capitol either. And so mm-hmm. I just feel like there's no substitute for going in and seeing these communities. And I really also feel like our readers in the Atlanta area see quite a bit about statewide issues, but it's hard to understand how they play out all across the state, not just in the Atlanta area. And then also you get a totally different view of some of those issues. And then you also get a better understanding of just where they're coming from. Why is this coming Mm -hmm. up as an issue? Where did this start in the first place? So I I have gotten so much out of these trips that I've decided to continue doing them. And so I started my first, my, this summer's road trip. um, I started with a trip to Metter, Georgia. It's right on I-16. If anybody has driven to the beach from Atlanta, Metter's a stop. It's a very popular stop. People know about it because it's called, uh, their slogan is, everything's better in Metter. And I'm like, is everything better in Metter? So I went down there and talked to the mayor, met with some of the county commissioners, and really, um, just for, for my very first stop on the trip, was just so fascinated and what they're dealing with. Um, if you get off of I-16 or 75 or 85 or any of these um, interstates, if you just drive a mile to the east or to the west, um, some of these towns are just right there and living in their own world of what they're dealing with. And um, Metter in particular, I was surprised to see that they are really one of the many, many, many towns and cities that are anticipating and slightly fearing, but also trying to get ready for kind of this explosive manufacturing growth in the state of Georgia. Mm -hmm. Um, What that means for a town like Metter is, can you land a secondary supplier um, are you going to get people driving from the main factory? There's this huge Hyundai factory that's planned for um, uh, uh, 
a town just west of Savannah. That's about a 45 minute drive from Metter. That means it's, I was ask, driving so it's in the sphere yeah. of influence, I guess, of the, of the Hyundai Meta plant, hundred percent, $5.5 billion yes. operation with tons of suppliers around it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, um, it is, uh, Metter and then you get to Statesboro and then you get down to Ellabelle, which is where that Hyundai plant is already underway, um, in its construction. And, uh, there's, then you have to start thinking about if you're, the mayor of Metter, if you're the superintendent of the Candler County Schools, if you are on the economic development team down there, which is exactly what Metter has. It's a small town, um, but they have a, an entire kind of economic development effort underway to make sure that Metter is one of the towns in the state that is growing and not shrinking. And that is the that's just the perennial existential question for any place outside of the city of Atlanta. Are you growing? Are you shrinking? are you kind of living or are you dying? And so um, that was absolutely what, what they've got going on in Metter. But they also have a you know really forward-looking mayor who is, in fact, uh, grew up in DeKalb County, but now is down there, moved down to Georgia Southern for college and never came home. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, if you're not growing, you're shrinking. If you're not living, you're dying. If you're not going forward, you're going backward. And so he has a very kind of um, aggressive, progressive vision of how to keep Metter moving forward and the Hyundai plant and plugging Metter in as sort of a central place for agriculture and ag development and ag innovation, that's another piece of it as well. And this is really part of the AJC's overall goal of more statewide coverage. And you mentioned we're all over the state already covering the campaigns, covering big issues, um, covering big moments and big developments, but we, we also want to be there when there's not a big issue, right? When there's not a big news story, where there's not a big campaign stop, when Donald Trump or Joe Biden isn't in town and still there. And you're, you're going to be hearing a lot more about the AJC's plans um, to expand its statewide coverage in the coming weeks and months. But this is part of it, Patricia. Where else do you plan to go uh, beyond, you mentioned, of course, Metter. You also made a quick trip into the exurbs, but you have plans to go far beyond. And we also want to eventually take the show as well to some of these locales. Yeah, absolutely. So for this week's road trip, I did a, it's kind of a mini road trip because you don't have to go far outside of Atlanta to get a really big, important political story in Georgia. So I went to Forsyth County um, for this week's column. It'll be in Sunday's paper, Friday Digital, and talk to people there about that incredibly rapidly changing county. This is the site of this infamous Klan march in 1987. You know, we are not talking 1947 or 57. 1987, there was a Klan march. Then there was a civil rights demonstration shortly thereafter, made huge national headlines. It was just a complete embarrassment for the state of Georgia. Um, And a racial cleansing in the early 1910s in Forsyth County as well. So it has this really troubled history there. Now, as an exurb of Atlanta, Forsyth County has a majority minority school district. They have a huge and growing South Asian population. Um, It is a Republican stronghold, but Donald Trump lost 5% from Mitt Romney in 2016. And then Donald Trump's turnout in 2020 was 5% down from 2016. So he's lost 10% of Republican Mm. support over the course of 
eight years and uh, talk to Republicans to say, well, what if Trump runs again? And so, Patricia, because I also know Herschel Walker's underperformed there, too, in, the, in last year's midterm. So what did Republicans say to you when you asked, what of another Trump run yeah. if he's the nominee? Yeah, they're worried. I mean, make no mistake, this is still a Republican stronghold. Trump finished with more than 65 percent of the vote, but he's shedding vote share. Um, locally, Republicans remain quite strong, but Democrats see a really significant opening, not only as the as the county is diversifying, but also um, Republicans said if Donald Trump is on the ballot, like they're concerned, they are worried that um, it's the kind of county where Republicans have to post what was described to me as God, gaudy numbers. It has to be like an obscene amount of Republican votes. And if he's not running up his numbers in a county like Forsyth, it's very hard to make up ground in other, in other areas of the state that are more rural, more more uh, kind of slam dunk Trump counties, but the population's not in those really small counties. It's in these growing counties like Forsyth. And if your numbers are going down in Forsyth, you're going to have a very hard time winning Georgia in 2024. Well, one topic that is sure to come up every stop we go to is the future of Governor Brian Kemp, because it seems that every few weeks there's another round of media stories that suggest he'd pose a bigger threat to Donald Trump than, than Ron DeSantis and other Republicans who are already in the race. The latest comes this week with pieces in the Daily Beast and Washington Post that got some traction. I saw one of them on, on the Drudge Report. Patricia, we've been following this from the get-go, and I, I'm still very skeptical. But I'd say there's still a, a glimmer of a possibility there. The governor and his aides have watched these polls really, really closely. They see DeSantis isn't really moving at all. He's got no traction. Uh, something could change, but it hasn't yet. Uh, governor Kemp is also very close to Glenn Youngkin, the Virginia governor who also swam against the Trump MAGA tide and won his race for governor a couple years ago. You mentioned you had a new thought of this, but here's mine. Could, could the two of them form some sort of alliance? I'm not saying running as a ticket, but, uh, but maybe hit the road together to push their version of a, their own version of a GOP that moves beyond the Trump rhetoric. I don't know. I don't know. So my thought, I actually had this conversation yesterday. Uh, somebody said, uh, I'm not sure Brian Kemp's running for president. I'm like, Brian Kemp is not running for president. He is not in Iowa. You do not go to Israel for a week and then later go to France and Germany for another week while all the other candidates are in New Hampshire and, and Iowa and South Carolina just trying to get in front of as many voters as possible. I'm like, Brian Kemp is not running for president. However, this morning, it occurred to me as I was thinking about this topic, DeSantis just cannot catch a break. He has not been that dynamic Florida success story governor that everybody thought he was going to be. And he, in trying to prove that he is this kind of young, fun relatable character. He's just so awkward on the trail. He's kind of dragging his kids around Iowa who don't look very excited about it. His wife is clearly the superstar of this entire operation, yeah. but she's not running for president. And so he just has not caught fire or taken off the way he needs to. And it doesn't feel like he's got the goods. He's not connecting. So while he is in um, you know, in these early states, uh, doing his very best to be like Mr. Normal. And he's so awkward. Um, Donald Trump went to Pickens, South Carolina, right before July 4th. Pickens is a town of 3,000 people. 
Donald Trump had 50,000 people. Took over the town. Took, took over, over the, the town and then some. Took over the entire county. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene was one of his uh, warm-up acts, as she often is. And by the way, I mean, when we say take over the town, he was actually on Main Street. This wasn't some yes. venue. This was this was right smack in the middle of this little kind of Main Street picturesque town. Yes, right in front of the Pickens County Courthouse. And he, he is not losing altitude. He doubled his fundraising numbers this month over last month or this quarter over last quarter, $35 million. He is, he's gaining support. He's keeping his devoted, devoted followers. Nobody else in South Carolina, including the Senator from South Carolina, Tim Scott and the former governor, Nikki Haley. Nobody's getting this kind of attention, this kind of just the adoration and nobody is cracking that nut. So then you start to think, okay, nobody running is making a dent in Donald Trump. Could Brian Kemp run for president? Like, so, somebody like, needs to do something. Goes from completely ruling it out to like, you know what? Maybe there's a maybe, maybe there's a this much of an opening. Well, somebody Again, needs to do something to change the dynamic. And the question is, would Brian Kemp be willing to? get in against Donald Trump. I mean, Would, that's and, the question. And could he? You and know, if he? the governor of Florida who has a presumably higher name recognition, but but more, you know, just as importantly, I guess, more, a lot more money and fundraising and big victories in Florida the last couple cycles, if he can't do it, you know, I don't know. Um, and Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, you know, you name it. Like Mike Pence, the former vice president, none of them are gaining any traction whatsoever. Um, we still haven't seen those moves yet. We still haven't seen him hire staffers or start going to some of those battleground states outside of Georgia. He's done a couple of fundraisers up in the Northeast. He's been back and forth to Washington for sure, but he hasn't taken any of those big splashy steps towards running for the presidency. But again, who knows? This is a different cycle. And his allies have always said, they're also, look, I've talked to plenty of his confidants and friends and allies who are very skeptical, just as skeptical as we are, Patricia, even more so maybe. Um, but they also say, this is a different cycle and Trump is a different sort of animal, a different sort of beast. And if these other candidates continue to falter, there might be that break the emergency glass just in case scenario. Yeah, it really is. It still is so far-fetched. I mean, Brian Kemp has two campaign staffers. That's two. Not everybody else. I mean, uh, DeSantis has a rotation of body men. You have to have precinct captains. At this point, you should have 20 people on your Iowa staff, 20 people in New Hampshire, 20 people in South Carolina. You need to have people in every county in Iowa. That's 99 counties. So it, it doesn't just build itself. It's not an, it's like building an airplane. You can't do it overnight, but somebody has got to do something. Also, if anybody got in late, you'd have to think it might be a bit of a political suicide mission unless you're the hero for the GOP. You know, it's a huge risk. So I still, still leave me in the skeptical camp, but even this morning I'm like, could he do it? <laughs> <laughs> The perennial question. We'll see. But there's a there's a debate. There's a presidential debate in one month. I mean, this train is out of the station and way down the tracks. And we will be there in Milwaukee so long as it's on because there's even yeah. questions about what that would look like because it looks like Donald Trump will not participate. But that is a different story for a different day. But we will also be there covering it for you guys. This is Politically Georgia from the AJC. Ocean breeze. Tropical beach. An air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. 
A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Greg Bluestein and Patricia Murphy. We're not only the two hosts of this podcast, we're also two of the three authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which that's the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community right now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts, and you can get three months of unlimited digital access for less than a dollar, just 99 cents. At subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts, so you always know what's really going on. Patricia, uh, we do want to mention a very important legal ruling. Georgia's new law banning certain treatments for transgender children will remain in effect while a legal challenge unfolds. This actually is something of a surprise to me, given that similar challenges in other states have already led to injunctions, have already been successful. Last week, federal judges in Kentucky and Tennessee issued separate rulings that temporarily blocked similar laws in those states. Federal judge in Arkansas overturned that state's law banning transition care uh, earlier in June, and other bans were blocked by courts in Alabama and Indiana. Um, a federal judge in Florida issued a more limited injunction. So there's been a string of legal victories. This is not a defeat by any means, um, for those challenging this law. Uh, but part of the reason Judge Garrity uh, said that she wouldn't immediately block this is because the challenge came so late in the game. This law was passed, was signed into law by Governor Kemp back in March. The challenge didn't come till just a couple days, about 30 hours before the law took effect. So she said, look, you know, <laughs> there needs to be a little more time uh, for uh, both sides to prepare their legal arguments. Yeah, and I think a judge also needs a little bit more time than that typically to consider an injunction because that really does have a significant material change on how um, and whether that law is being enforced. And then also uh, the people involved, the the families involved. And that really was the argument of the uh, people looking for an injunction was to say this is ongoing medical treatment that people are seeking and would like to continue to seek. And if you take a pause, it makes a really big difference about whether or not you can go back to it. However, the judge, I think, in her ruling said, listen, you need more time to even consider an injunction, not a last minute uh, decision in a case like this. It's one thing if something happens very quickly and then you have to decide very quickly. But um, they did have quite a bit of time to consider this uh, kind of a challenge to make this kind of request. And she said it was just too little too late. You know, Patricia, before we get to Q&A and our who's up and who's down, we do want to talk a little bit more about the Peachtree Road Race because it's one of the few events in Atlanta that truly unites the community. We're not just saying this because the AJC is a sponsor. I've been running it, I think, every every summer since 2003 and a couple before that. And I'm always kind of the same pace. We uh, we we highlighted some politicians in their times. Mayor Dickens got about one hour and one one or two minutes. Here's what he said about the race bringing people together. 
Yeah, this is a multi-generational event. You know, people from all income levels, all parts of the region, uh, from 50 different states, as well as about two dozen countries. People are coming here for this race and also for what Atlanta has to offer. So this is a good time to be had, and I'm just ready to enjoy it, seeing people that's lying the streets, volunteers, as well as just people want to come out and have a good time waving at us, supporting everybody going on. So I'm excited. It's going to be a great day in the A. Great day in the A. 50,000 people or so ran the race. In, on election years, Patricia, you see it becomes a campaign event. Um, you, you see signs for dueling candidates. Um, you see their volunteers decked out in campaign paraphernalia. This is an off election year, so we did not see as much. I did see along the race route signs for abortion rights and signs for different causes, but I didn't see as many you know candidate paraphernalia. I didn't see... Biden or Trump signs or DeSantis signs or anything like that. We will next year. I can guarantee you we'll see that next year. But it was cool to see so many politicians run the race. And again, we listed some other times in the jolt, just reminding folks that it's not just an Atlanta event, but it's also a political event in, in a sense. Uh, Mayor Dickens came in about an hour. So did Councilman Matt Westmoreland. Uh, a few others, uh, Senator Warnock was about an hour and 15. I got a note saying, if you listed all of them, why don't you list your time? My time's hour and two-ish. I'm always around an hour. If I'm running every day for five miles before I'm an hour, and if I haven't run, this this time I hadn't been running as much because I, I messed up my back at the beach. Um, I don't know how, I just tweaked it. And I was still like an hour and two, so I'm a plotter. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, but I always am happy to... To participate, but I was very impressed with uh, one person in particular, Atlantic City Council President Doug Schiffman, who finished it. He j- he was kind of late to running. He didn't start really running for, uh, until a couple years ago. He finished, I think, it was fifty-three minutes. So a very good time, and another very impressive political time came from GOP lobbyist Jared Thomas, also frequent listener of the show. He came in at 4626. I can't even touch that. Uh, one of my best friends came in at 43. I was very impressed. But man, once you get to the 40s, you're, you're smoking. His his average mile, Jared's average mile was 729. So very, very quick time. We are dealing with an elite runner in that situation. We need to know his history. He must have been on somebody's track team somewhere. And if he wasn't, his recruiters were not paying much attention. Um, <laughs> listen, the Pastry Road Race, that is the most efficient use of a politician's time. You you do not see 100,000 uh, current mm-hmm. voters and potential voters in about an hour anywhere. That cannot be done. I mean, unless you hang out at Hartsfield and just help check people in through the security line. Um, so you you just can't beat it as far as a way to get in front of a whole bunch of people. It also highlights the fact that we have some very fit elected leaders. And I'm going to say this is a newish trend. I can't think of a time when uh, the mayor and a U.S. senator and the head of the city council, I mean, they're all very, they're, these are clearly people who run. They, they did not just strap on their shoes just to get out and see a bunch of, uh, see a bunch of voters at the same time. Although nobody's beyond that. Um, Max Cleland used to, his apartment used to be right on the Peachtree Road Race route. And he would be out there every single year uh, from the time he was in Secretary Secretary of State's office, um, doing high fives for people and waving at people. And um, people would know where to stop on the route. And we would see um, tons and tons of other elected officials doing the race. And it is a great time for voters and for runners. And uh, even though they had to uh, call it, 
it a little bit early because of the weather this year, I also think that was for sure the right thing to do. So um, a good choice for the organizers of the Peachtree Road Race. Well, Shaney B., our producer, knows very well. Now is time for one of our favorite segments of the show. The Listener Mailbag. And you, dear listeners, can now call the Politically Georgia Podcast Hotline anytime. Leave a question, and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 404-526-AJCP. That's 404-526-2527. Shani B., we are in the dog days of summer, but we still are flooded with questions, emails, tweets, and of course, what we prefer the most, calls. You know, I wonder if we should start taking questions on the new Thread platform. I'm on it. I, I am an early adopter. Patricia, do you are. even know what Thread is? Do you of know, course do you I know you, what Thread okay, is. I don't know. I, I don't am know. a conscientious objector to many social media platforms. Because you're not a Facebook person. <laughs> yeah, you're not a Facebook person, so I didn't think you'd be a Thread person. No, are you on yeah, Thread? Frankly, ever since I started this job at the AJC, I don't love social media. I just, I, I'm not in <laughs> Surprise. love. Surprise. Yeah, I know. People can be jerks. Not our listeners, but other when people When I covered national jerks. politics, I did not swim in the same fishbowl as the people I cover, and... All of a sudden, people knowing like what your kids look like and where you live, it just is a little less you comfortable. You remember way so. back when, when social media was fun and you were reconnecting with people know, and sharing so cat great. photos. It Can I say so this great. real quick? Though? That's what, and I know it's been a day, but that's kind of how Thread feels like because it's just so new and it's not going to be great in another day. But right now, it's cute and people are like, oh my God, this is me. We're connecting here and there's people they haven't seen in a while and people, because the Twitter is, I don't, you know, I tweet still, but I don't it's pay attention dark, to it. It's a dark, dark world I don't pay on attention Twitter. To it. It's, it's yeah. a bad neighborhood over at Twitter. It is not fun. So right now, Fred seems all nice and shiny and cool and I hope it stays that way. It probably won't. But anyway, <laughs> that's not what the question. I, I do want to announce, I'm going to start a new Threads thread for the AJC dog of the day. I feel like that is social media that oh, yeah, uh, people can that. believe in. Now that is gold. Go on post, go on blue sky, go on and all. <laughs> Mastodon. I, I, I put my name down on all those and I just, <laughs> I haven't post. paid attention to any of them, but I got post. I got it all. I just don't post on them. <laughs> I got rejected by Truth Social. <laughs> you did? Yes. <laughs> I don't know what I did wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got rejected from MySpace, but you know, <laughs> in 1997. Before our days, Shane. How old are you, Shane? Oh <laughs> <laughs> old enough to remember MySpace. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Change of subject. Okay, Shane, you've picked the very best question you've got. This is the one. best question. Comes from Jacqueline in Athens. She has a question about our coverage of our fearless lieutenant governor. My question for Politically Georgia, uh, why do you not consistently call Burt Jones, our lieutenant governor, fake elector, Burt Jones? Thank you. Patricia's pointing at me to answer this one first. So um, uh, Jacqueline, uh, you, you should, let me give their readers some background. Burt Jones was among the fake electors. Uh, the slate of 16 fake electors. He's the most prominent of them. He is not under the same scrutiny as the other electors, the other fake electors from Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis, in part because of a legal ruling involving her support for his opponent in the Democratic race for lieutenant governor. 
last year. So anyway, long story short, he is not under the same sort of legal uh, microscope as some of the other fake electors, but nonetheless, he is a fake elector. Um, we have had this conversation internally. I don't know if there's been a ruling from the editors or anything like that, but internally we have talked about when to note that Burt Jones is a fake elector and when not. And so if there's a, a piece of legislation, if he's backing a uh, a budget bill or involved in hospital, you know, the hospital deregulation or, or things like that, the, the, some of the big issues we wrote about, we don't note that. But if there's anything to do with Donald Trump, anything to do with the with the trial, with the case in Fulton County, anything that has directly to do with his background, um, his support for the former president. Uh, for instance, when he was at the, the Georgia GOP and it came up, you know, at the convention, that tends to be where we mention it. I don't think we have a hard and fast rule. Maybe we do need one, um, but we have not been mentioning it every single time we write his name. Um, I don't know. Patricia, what do you think? So I think it's... Uh thanks in large part to our coverage, I think it's uh, well known that he was a fake elector. And to your point, Greg, whenever the story is about elections, um, campaigns, challenges to election rules, proposed changes to election rules, we do always, to my knowledge, um, point out the fact that the lieutenant governor was a fake elector. Um, it's a very important piece of those stories, and it's an important piece of his background, I would say. And in campaign pieces um, about the lieutenant governor or his race, we did also call that out uh, repeatedly so that voters could evaluate him based on that piece of information. Um, at the moment, he, as Greg said, he has been pulled out as not currently a target of that Fulton County investigation. That was a decision by Judge McBurney based on Fonnie Willis's decision to hold a fundraiser for um, Burt Jones's opponent in the lieutenant governor's race. So it, it puts him in really different legal standing than the rest of the fake electors. So it's an ongoing story and it continues to be the subject of our own coverage and our own interest. It's not in every single story about the lieutenant governor um, because it does, I think, also tend to get you going down a different conversation or a different path if we're talking about the budget or rural hospitals or a decision to bring a bill to the floor about something X, Y, and Z. But it's certainly not anything we're trying to hide or protect Burgens from. I love that question. And Patricia, I loved your answer a lot better than mine. <laughs> I think you got it. Now it is time for Who's Up and Who's Down. Patricia, since we always like to end on a positive note, who is your Who's Down for the week? My Who's Down for the week, Greg, is Lynn Wood, former high profile attorney, now disgraced attorney, now disgraced former attorney, Lynn Wood. He uh, really rose to prominence when he acted as a defense attorney for Richard Jewell in the Atlanta Park bombing case. And uh, Richard Jewell ended up not being the person who uh, planted the bomb. He was wrongly accused. And it was his defense by Lynn Wood that uh, really brought Wood to prominence. He went on to have a lot of high profile defense clients in the state of Georgia, very combative with other attorneys, left a lot of enemies in his wake, but as do many lawyers. Um, however, because of his role in the Trump election and the Trump election challenges and conspiracy theories and denials, um, there was an ongoing challenge to his bar status and was very likely to be disbarred. And so instead of go through that entire 
process. Because of his own conduct, we found out this week that he has resigned his membership in the Georgia Bar Association and committed to never practice in Georgia or any other jurisdiction. So for a guy who makes his living doing that and a guy who became famous and notorious as an attorney, that is just the lowest rung. And he it does look like he's on this long list of people who Donald Trump kind of used up and left out to dry, to be frank with you. And so it's a bad week for Linwood. You know, Great Minds, I had the same exact who's down. My history at Linwood is a little different. I worked for a newspaper called The Daily Report before I joined the AP and then the Associated Press and then the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And one of my, I think it was my very first story, and I'm trying to find it. I cannot find it right now. But my very first story with the Daily Report, or it might have been my second, but one of my first stories was a lawyer's fundraiser where lawyers acted out Shakespearean plays to great fanfare. And Linwood was the star of the show. And it just seemed like as a 20-something-year-old, 21-year-old reporter, new to covering the legal community in Georgia and new just to covering reporting, I just couldn't have imagined like a better reception. The guy was basically walked out on people's shoulders. I mean, he was that revered in that audience of really, you know, high esteemed, high powered lawyers. And to see what happened to him, not who knows what kind of what switch was flipped, what happened, whatever. But for him to go to that, to leading a rally in 2021, calling for Governor Kemp to be arrested, right? Um, Spouting out these lies, falsehoods, conspiracy theories about Donald Trump leading to this just ignominious end, (laughs) this, um, you know, upending his own legal career. As our colleague Alan Judd wrote, um, you know, the rise and fall, um, really, um, really telling. Well, that is my who's down for the week. Patricia, who's your who's up for the week? My who's up for the week is Donald J. Trump, because there's an old saying that, you, you know, you can't get arrested in this town. He might get arrested in this town in August when Fonnie Willis tells us what she's going to do about possibly indicting Donald Trump. He has been arrested in other towns like New York City and in Florida. And this guy is up in the polls raising tens of millions of dollars. It's hard to see what stops him right now. A lot of time between on the nomination, but it's hard to see what changes his trajectory. And that is unbelievable if you think about (laughs) the last three years of American history. So despite his and other people's best efforts to do things that you would think would keep somebody off of a ballot and then out of people's um, affections as the GOP nominee for president in 2024, he is sitting pretty right now. My who's up for the week? I'm going to go not so political. The the finishers of the Peachtree Road Race, the 50,000 or so of you guys who braved the rain and the heat and humidity to run the 10K, to run the 6.2 miles through the heart of Atlanta, finishing, some of you finished in a rainstorm. <laughs> I got out before the the deluge, but um, for everyone who spent the morning of the 4th of July running the Peachtree Road Race, you're my who's up for the week. Well, thanks so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can find links to all the stories we talked about today in the episode summary of this podcast. We release new episodes every Wednesday, every Friday, or whenever big news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the AJC. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. 
Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. 